Let's ask a fun question of one another. What's the best meal you've ever eaten? It's daylight savings time, and so our bodies feel like it's 10.30, so I can talk about food, because you're not hungry yet. The best meal you've ever eaten. It's a fun question. It'd be a great dinner party conversation topic that could go in any number of places. One of the places my mind goes first when I think about a great meal is actually to, to Disney. I know a lot of people have been to Disney, even some recently, and I was served on a, a planning team one time, and um, I think that the incentive for being on the planning team was that they were going to feed us really well. And so we got to eat great meals at the Animal Kingdom Lodge, at Jico and Boma, ate at the Garden Grill in Epcot Center, that's the one that rotates inside and the characters come and sit with you at dinner. At Disney, you can go have a very fancy, fun breakfast at the Contemporary Hotel, and Mickey Mouse will serve you waffles that are very expensive. Closer to home, if you think about the best places you can go eat, that you can enjoy, you might think of a date night at Mateo. You might venture into Lantern and Chapel Hill, or maybe you'll stop at Poole's Diner, which is redefining what it means to be a diner, let me assure you. There are countless places you can have a wonderful dining experience and you can splurge a little bit. I encourage you to do that. I love a good meal. There's a few times I've actually been to places where the server comes through after the meal's over and scrapes the crumbs off of your table for you with that really fancy tool that I looked up. It's called a crumb scraper. (laughs) I thought for sure there was like a fancy French word for it, and there wasn't. Much research, though, has been done around eating and our senses and memories and the way that they all tie together and create memorable, meaningful experiences. And when we sit down and have beautiful meals, whether it be a fancy, fine dining meal or just a great crab cake sandwich overlooking the ocean, there's a way that we can connect those experiences to the God who loves us, the God who created all of this for us, and who wants us, I think, in many ways, at many times, to enjoy it extravagantly. And today we read about an act of extravagance during a meal with Jesus. A meal that was filled with extravagance and a little bit of controversy. And beyond the financial realities that are present in this passage, I think it's important that we examine the role that extravagance plays in our own spiritual lives, especially as our lives relate to God. So consider extravagance and your relationship with God and the commitment and faith you have to an extravagant God as we read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. Hear now this reading of God's Word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, to the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas, 
one of the disciples, one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse, and he used to steal what was put into it. Jesus says, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lot happens in this memorable story that's just eight verses long. Lazarus, who was dead and stinky, is now alive and eating food again. Martha is serving a meal to Jesus and the disciples, and this time she's not complaining about Mary not helping her. Jesus is okay with Mary's acts of extravagance, and Judas is not, and herein lies the problem. Mary is exalted as an exemplary disciple due to her extravagant devotion and her ability to see what is coming, even when, maybe especially when, the rest of the disciples see nothing of the sort. And then before the passage closes, Jesus says this thing that runs contrary to so much of what we think about how we're supposed to live and do and be, when he says, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Sometimes I don't know what to do with this thing tacked onto the end of the passage. We know it's true that Jesus is absent from us in body now, and the poor are very much still present with us, And then sometimes it echoes in the back of our head where Jesus says, go and sell everything that you own and give the money to the poor and come and follow me. And all of that seems at odds with the last sentence of this story. And then, if we look to Judas and we look to other places in the Gospels, we see that there is a sense in which he's actually correct. We're going to chase this rabbit for a second. Judas is kind of correct. You could have sold all that perfume, given it to the poor, changed some lives. In fact, I did some research this week. It's not hard with the internet to look up hunger in the world. You find out that 800 million people in the world lack proper nutrition. That's one in nine worldwide. I remember several years ago being on a mission trip in Washington, D.C., and hearing the advocacy organization Bread for the World say that with $16 billion a year, they could solve world hunger. Now, I couldn't verify that statistic this week, so take it with a grain of salt, if you can afford it. And then consider these numbers that are verifiable. 66 million primary school-aged children attend classes every week around the world Hungry. 23 million kids in Africa alone go hungry every year. School-aged kids. And the World Food Program calculates that $3.2 billion is needed to reach all 66 million hungry children. Now, I realize $3.2 billion is a huge number. 
And I know that Jesus says, the poor you will always have with us. And I know that, that feeding the poor is not always as simple as taking the empty calories from my kitchen and putting them on a boat to go somewhere else. But I also know that the national deficit runs 175 times greater than that $3.2 billion. Okay, so take $3.2 billion, multiply it by 175, and that's how big our deficit is every year as a country. So theoretically, we could pinch a few pennies as a nation, solve this problem. Or we could appeal to business. I, Google, Facebook, Amazon, IBM, Microsoft, Intel, and Nike, to name a few, could chip in a few bucks here and there and solve $3.2 billion without hardly changing their profits and creating a reasonable philanthropic economic solution. But they're businesses. Let's think about human beings who should care for one another. If the richest billion people of the world, of which there are eight, just gave three bucks a year, that's 3.3 billion bucks. Or if the most affluent billion Christians in the world all could come up with $3 a year, $4 a year, we could more than solve this $3.2 billion problem of hungry elementary school kids in the world. When you look at just the numbers and the numbers alone, it's a no-brainer. Solving world hunger could be a Christian issue that we sit here and dream about. And as people who believe in a God who's two weeks from today going to be resurrected from an empty tomb, isn't dreaming about solving a big problem like hunger a reasonable thing for us to do? But the sermon is actually not much longer going to be about feeding the poor. And it's not going to be any more about running numbers, and I don't really think you need to quit splurging at Starbucks once a year and giving that money to ACIM. Although if you want to, that'd be a good idea. We're all still going to give turkeys at the holidays. We're going to buy cans when we're asked to. But I think this passage and this sermon needs to end hopefully thinking about our souls and our spirits and considering the true spiritual extravagance that we have access to, but we often fail to claim or to express ourselves. Practically speaking, practically speaking, only Judas was exactly right, but Jesus and Mary are operating on a different premise. For Jesus and for Mary, it's this. When it comes to what we offer back to God, no extravagance is too great. When it comes to what a disciple of Jesus gives to God, there's never too much. You can never give too much. Think about it. What have I given back to God? Have I been as extravagant with God as God has been with me. Can I give too much to God? Can I give too much money and resources to God? Can I devote too much time in service to God through His church and in His kingdom? There's an aspect of what Jesus and Mary have going on today that I think leads us to ask those questions. Her offering of extravagance practically and financially might seem wasteful. But it's an offering made to God. She anointed Jesus, and so how could it be? 
could it be too wasteful if she gave what she had, all she had, to the God she loved? But Judas just says, if you'd not given so much money to the church, you could have given that money to the food pantry. Or if you had not spent so much time reading your Bible and praying, you could have worked a couple extra hours to get to earlier retirement. Or if you had not offered so much time in service to your neighbor, you could have put in an hour of overtime that you could have donated to the kids' mission trip. Judas is like a wet blanket on a beautiful offering of extravagance. And so we quickly see that what Jesus and Mary are doing, alongside with what Jesus is saying, there's, a, there's no question where our devotion needs to lie. We need to follow Mary. We need to be in, on Jesus' side of the table this time. There's no debate over where we can be faithfully extravagant, is there? Because when it comes to the love that God has for each of us, and the love we have for God, no extravagance is too great. I love a good meal. I've probably spent way too much money on food in my life up to this point. I like a simple burger or a fancy filet. And in fact, in the next couple weeks, we've got friends coming through town and we've got family here. And I'm looking to forward to several meals, some of which will be nice and bordering on extravagant, and others that will just be shared around the table with beautiful friends. The fact of the matter is, every one of those meals could be replaced with Kraft mac and cheese and hot dogs, and we'd still have a great time. And all the money saved could be given to the poor. But I don't think that that's the only thing that Jesus wants us to do. I don't even think that's the first thing that Jesus wants us to do. I think that's what Judas would tell us to do. I, think, I don't think Jesus is demanding austerity. I think he wants us to enjoy this world that he's given us. Enjoy it fully and appropriately and extravagantly. And the key to living life well is to not allow the extravagance that we indulge in for ourselves exceed the willingness we have to be extravagant with the God who loves us. You hear me? Let us never allow the extravagance that we indulge in for ourselves and the ones we love to exceed the willingness that we have to be extravagant with the God who gave us all we have. And our problem is sometimes we get the two mixed up. So think about it. Think about this. The next time you, you've got an expensive meal on the books and you start saving for it and you start planning and you're pinching pennies at the grocery store the week ahead of time, think about it and, and prepare. Get ready to pull out all the, all the stops. I'm telling you. There are good times when you should order appetizers and dessert. Splurge a little bit, plan for it, and enjoy it. But also, think about the time when next you're going to be able to be extravagant with God. What's an area of your life where you need to be more extravagant with the God that loves you 
Does God need you to be a little bit more extravagant with the time on your calendar or the space in your checkbook? How might you connect with God better if you're able to be more extravagant with Him? And do you think God might respond to you if you are? My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't just preach to you, I preach to myself today. And there's a level of extravagance when it comes to giving to God that all of us have yet to reach. And in most cases, I don't even think God needs us to sacrifice many of the things that we love in order to be extravagant with Him. But I think it's time we look for the footsteps of Mary and maybe think about following in them a little bit more. It's time we try to give to God a little bit more extravagantly because of all that God's given to us. It's time for us to let go a little bit and let God have what was already His to begin with. And then, after we see what God has done with our extravagance, I think we're going to see God further blessing and further providing. And I think we're going to see God shaping and changing the world around us in wonderful, beautiful, powerful ways. Because as extravagant as our God already has been, I cannot imagine that our extravagance to Him would not be multiplied and returned to us again and again and again. That's my prayer for us today. May it all be our prayer as we pray. Loving and gracious God, You have given so, so much. We are blessed people, and we thank You for the many, many ways You care and provide for each of us. Lord, You are truly an extravagant God from the buds on the trees to the bountiful meals that are in front of us often. And Lord, today we ask that you would lead us as we consider the ways that we can be extravagant with you in response to the extravagance that you have given to each of us. Lord, lead us and guide us. Touch our hearts and show us how to give and to live and to love. Lord, this is what we want. We know this is who you've created us to be. So help us to be that in this day and in the days ahead because of your great, great love for us. It's in your name we offer this prayer and we ask it. Amen.